Hello everybody, welcome to the Money Mitch Effect. It's time for another edition of this fine show. And before we start the music and before we bring in today's guests, I'm your host Mitch Michaels and I got one thing to say, one topic to talk about, and that is the boxing match that took place on Saturday night between Triple G, Gennady Golovkin, and Canola Alvarez. And it was a fine display, it was a great boxing event, but what a freaking joke in that decision. And I just, I gotta say this right off the top before we get into the show. If it was a draw, that's fine. You know, it was a tight fight. I had Golovkin winning by a, a decently significant margin, you know, a couple rounds, clearly, I thought, but it could have been close um, on tour cards. And I get it, you know, Golovkin was stalking him. Alvarez was kind of against the ropes and likes to counterpunch. And I get that there's styles to fights. And, you know, I'm more of a guy who lands more punches, guy who dictates the fight. I thought Hagler beat Leonard back in the day, you know, before I was around looking at that fight, but to the judge that had it 118 to 110, what are you thinking? 10 to 2 Alvarez, that is a judge that wants nothing to do with a fair fight, that wants Alvarez to win before this is going on, so, uh, or just completely incompetent, you know, Teddy Atlas said crookedness in boxing, and I'm inclined to believe it because, you know, people I know that don't watch boxing can point out and be like, this guy won that round, this guy won that round fairly, um, so it was a shame, you know, it was a shame that there's a blemish here. Now we're going to get this fight again, at least once more, probably twice more, but um, you can't have that. <laughs> you cannot have unfair scoring like that. You think Mayweather McGregor's bad for boxing? I don't personally think it's as bad as this. You know, I don't think it's that bad at all. Um, but the people that say that, it's like, what are you watching here when you have terrible scoring? So that's my piece. I thought Golovkin was robbed of a fair scoring judge. I don't know if he was robbed of the fight necessarily. I thought he won, but the robbery was that we had a judge that clearly had an agenda or, unfortunately, was gotten to. That's my piece, and now there's the music being played. It's the Money Mitch Effect. I'm your host, Mitch Michaels. Great show planned for you today. All football edition. I'm going to talk to my boy Joe Crisali in a little bit as we break down the NFL. But up first, going all the way to NYC, Ron Schultz, who works for Yahoo Sports, does some stuff for the vertical. We're going to talk college football, USC, Texas, Clemson, Louisville, Florida, Tennessee, and look forward to a big, big week three uh, and talk about his podcast, uh, Sneaker Yahoo's. We're going to talk about that. He started his own podcast as well. But it's Ron Schultz first on Joe Crisali on the NFL. This is the Money Mitch Effect. All right, college football season is really, really heating up, and we hope to do so on this show. Bringing back into the fold by way of New York, former college football regular on this show last year, works for the Vertical, now moved to New York City, Ron Schultz. Ron, thanks for joining the Money Mitch Effect. Hey, thanks for having me on again, Mitch. Good to be back. I know it's been a while. I think this is the second time we've talked since you moved to New York, um, but this is the first time we've talked about college football, which... I know gets you going, gets a lot of us going, and we're on the heels of a couple weeks in a row now where we've seen some consistently good, close games. Uh, I know that there's week zero, week one, everybody gets that itch in their mouth, but I think it's until you finally see good football on the field, some late game drama, at least for me, Ron, I don't know how you feel, but I don't really feel like it started until you get to see those drama moments at the end that weeks two and three provide. Right, yeah, I think I, I, think I agree. I mean, that's what you're really you're thirsty for, especially after summer. You know, just baseball. At least for me, I'm not a, not a huge baseball guy, but love 
love when it comes down to football season. And while, you know, those first week games are always fun, you know, games like Texas and USC, that's what really gets your motor going and reminds you why you love college football so much. I know, although I'm surprised you say that with your boy Rice, just uh, just going crazy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's he's doing well. The rest of the team, not so much. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. But I do want to start with USC-Texas because what a game that was. And a game that I don't think a lot of people had being that tight. I'll be the first one to admit I did not see it being that good of a game and one that Texas could have absolutely won. Instead, it was USC hanging on at home 27-24 to in the double OT, really a phenomenal game. And I want to start here, Ron, with SC. They did not look great. They looked vulnerable for a lot of this game. But when the pressure was on, when the chips were down, you saw the USC offense engineered by Sam Darnold just make it happen. Down by three with less than a minute left, make play after play, get into field goal range, and then in overtime when asked upon, get the job done. I got to start with Darnold because the plays that he made on that last drive, the jump pass in particular, he did not have a great game. I think everyone will agree with that, but that is a clutch quarterback, and that's next-level transcendent skills. I think we can agree there. Were you shocked to see Darnold fix it, figure it out late in that game? I don't know if I was necessarily shocked. I think that was more kind of what I expected from him the whole game. It just was interesting that it took that long to show up. I was thoroughly impressed with Texas's game plan. They knew what USC's strengths were. I mean, not that USC played well for the first, you know, three and a half quarters of it, but, I mean, Texas came out and they did play well. They they played their game. They didn't get discouraged by disappointing results uh, the previous week. I mean, they... They put on. I was very impressed with Texas, but I mean, Donald was the best player on the field, and everyone knew that. He proved it on that last drive. I was very impressed with his playmaking uh, abilities, his decision making. Everything on that last drive was everything that that uh, you know he's been built up to be. And impressed, obviously, but it was it was what I expected kind of for the whole game. But it was nice to see it show up when it really mattered. Right. We, we heard that stat that you know Tom Herman was undefeated against ranked teams going into this game, and I think. Part of it is just understanding what the other teams do well and building a game plan that could take away, maybe not necessarily take away, but match up well with their strengths. Texas's defense deserves a lot of credit because they got pushed around by a pretty pedestrian Maryland team. They've rebounded nicely in the past couple weeks. I do think Darnold could have stepped it up earlier, but a lot of those incompletions and, and definitely that pick six were balls right on the hands of his receivers. And I've noticed that a little bit, that this USC team isn't doing enough well at times around Darnold. Their defense is banged up. I thought Texas stayed in the game, and and it sounds cliche, Ron, but they were in a hostile environment with a top-five team on the road in prime time, and they just didn't get discouraged. So these are the games that we kind of live for as as fans, especially, and I know players too, but for Texas to just show up on the road was really impressive and make this one of the all-time games I think we'll see this season. Uh, I think so too. I think I feel like there was a lot of buzz around this game with it being the first time these two teams have faced off since that Rose Bowl. Obviously, that that being, you know, one of the greatest games ever played. And I think maybe USC got a little wrapped up in going, like, why is this even a game? Why, you know, why are people building this out to be a big deal? Because from a talent standpoint, it's not, honestly, it's not even close. I mean, USC is much more talented, much more experienced. I mean, overall, just a much better team. Uh, but I think Texas, I, I think they used that Maryland game, and I think Tom Herman has, has really rallied the troops down there. Uh, yes, they didn't get the win, but they were not discouraged at any point during that no. game. They were confident. They went out on that last drive when they took the lead, 
at no point in time was Texas did they not look like they were going to score. Mm -hmm. Uh, From the beginning of that drive, when they went down to take the lead at the end of regulation, I I thought, you know, that quarterback, he played really, really well. I mean, he he knew what he was doing. Texas, I mean, they weren't discouraged. There's no two ways around it. They knew what they were doing. And Colin Johnson. I mean, Ellinger Ellinger was was really (laughs) good. Colin Johnson had a monster game at receiver. I mean, USC had. He did, trouble. yeah. He almost he had almost 200 yards. <laughs> he did. There, I think there's some positives to say. USC has a game that kind of brings them back to earth. There was a lot of hype around this team, and deservedly so. But a lot of people throwing out you know phrases like going undefeated, and you never want to build that you know be on that hype train. So I think it's good that they're kind of knocked back down to earth a little bit. Texas having to not only you know take the lead but also score in this first overtime to force double. I thought that was big, but it was just USC making the plays. Darnold, as we mentioned, but also that defense getting the strip at the end of the second overtime. And how about a clutch kicker for a change? Yeah, I took a I took a took a quick little instant bet with one of my friends that he was going to make it, and I won myself a nice clean fifteen bucks. Oh, there you go. Uh, <laughs> off off the off that kicker, so he's uh, he's all good in my book. He stepped up when it when it mattered, made the plays, um, but it was a good game, and it was one that I think we're going to be remembering. And, and I know, you know, we're going to look at certain points of the season, especially with guys like Donald, to say this might be a game where they showed something. I think you can show something in a game where you could have played a little better. I think that's true, also. But SC I, remains undefeated <laughs> by the skin of their teeth. Yeah, I think so too. I think it, uh, you know, it showed resolve and that they weren't. Yes, they didn't play their best. Yes. Texas came to play, but uh, USC did, you know, they showed up and they got the win at the end, and that's that's what really matters is, you know, the W and the L, and they got the W. So Ron Schultz, Money Mitch Effect, another game I want to talk about is Clemson putting it on Louisville, 47-21, to and this was a that game defense that... defense is for real. Exactly, and I, I want to say this oh before, before we recap the game, a lot of people had questions about this game. They didn't know what to expect because of the uncertainty on both teams. The Lamar Jackson effect on Louisville. What was the rest of their team like? Clemson going through some offensive changes. But there was one constant in this game, and you mentioned it, Ron. Clemson's defense, hands down, the best unit on the field. Bar none. They are, they are filthy. And I, I almost say now that they've beaten Louisville and the way they beat Louisville, it almost, at least till they get to the big money games, it doesn't even really matter who their quarterback is when you have a defense like that in ACC play, at least. No, and I think I agree. And, and even given that, I thought Kelly Broad played well. I think he, he showed up. I mean, look at the mm-hmm. put on the board. They didn't struggle. Not that Louisville has a, you know, a stellar defense in themselves, but, I mean, if you have, have decent quarterback play, decent offensive play, and that defense, that's a scary team. And honestly, I think... I mean, they moved up to number two in the rankings this week, and I think deservedly so. Uh, I mean, I think you could even make a make a case for them to be number one. I mean, they looked like the best team in the country on the field last week. I think there was so much hype around that Louisville game. Can Louisville finally beat Clemson? They don't have Deshaun Watson. They're not the team they were last year. Well, they might even be better than they were last year. That that Clemson team is for real. Well, I absolutely think their defense is better than last year. Offensively, though, whenever you lose Watson and, and some of those playmakers, it's hard to say, but absolutely better on defense. And it was crazy to me when you when you watch this game. You usually say this a lot about offensive players. Like, they get going, they, you know, they, they pick up steam as the game goes along. That's what you could say about this defense. They get better as the game goes along. So when it was 7-7 seven to seven at the end of the first quarter, you still got the sense watching the game, I'm checking out that sideline, how they handled themselves. Like they knew they were just settling in. 
And when Louisville only had one real playmaker that they could count on to get anything against that defense, and it takes a reigning Heisman Trophy winner in Lamar Jackson, I think that speaks volumes for just how deep and talented that roster was. They were not going to let Jackson beat him by themselves, and they just did not have now, the firepower. No, I think Brent Venables came in with a great game plan. They'd seen him last year. There's a lot of film at this point on, on Lamar Jackson. And, uh, I mean, Louisville just doesn't necessarily have the playmakers on offense around Lamar Jackson to make him, you know, as versatile and as volatile as he was last year. I think that's that's a lot of what it was. Last year, I think they had a little bit more around him. People didn't hadn't seen him before. They didn't really know exactly what he was giving them. Uh, now, and especially with a, with a coach like Brent Venables, he knew what he was getting in for. And with an experienced defense, a confident defense, they, they shut Lamar Jackson down. They did. And, you know, you mentioned Bryant playing well. You mentioned I mean, the offense averaging six yards a carry on the rush. But the biggest thing with Bryant was no turnovers. You know, no turnovers as a right. team. And I think no Lamar turnovers. Jackson gets going. When he, you know, that Louisville offense strikes on turnover, Jackson big play back-to-back. You're like, what happened? If Clemson doesn't turn the ball over, they, you know, keep maintaining either scores or field position. That really hurts Louisville's chances in addition to that stellar defense Clemson has. Right, absolutely. And, I mean, you look at Bryant, he had 316 yards, a touchdown, and 26 yards on the ground, two touchdowns on the ground. I mean, he he was good. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say that, you know, you put him in the Heisman conversation because of this game. That's not what I'm saying. But he was as passable as they needed him to be. He got the job done. I think the question was with Clemson this year is with losing Deshaun Watson, was Will Kelly Bryant be a thorn in this team's side with all the talent around him? Will he be able to step into those shoes? And in a big-time game, prime time, on the road, the kid, the kid showed up. He did. You know, and that just makes me upset now that Francois got hurt because I wanted that game to mean something. You know, Clemson, Florida State, or at least be more important than what it probably will be. And now it is, honestly, after this game especially, it's Clemson or bust for the ACC to get to that playoff. Absolutely. I think I think as long as Clemson takes care of business, they pretty much have a have a, a spot in the playoffs as long as they don't lose a game that they're not supposed to. And really the only one I could see that happening is that FSU game. Yeah, and I just think now with, with Florida State looking weaker with the rest of this conference not as strong maybe as it was a year ago, they might not get in with one loss, you know. Like it, it might take a and, perfect and I, season. Right, exactly. And I think that's the thing is last year they did have that loss to pitch. I don't know if they can afford that this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very true. Well, we'll have to see what happens with Clemson going forward. Uh, one team I want to give a lot of credit to and a lot of time on the Money Mitch effect, maybe the best performance last week, Ron. I don't know if you'd agree. But what the Oklahoma State Cowboys did to Pitt was uh, downright scary, 59-21, 49 points in the first half. How serious should we be taking this team? I, I know I know it's the Big 12. I know it's a lot of points. I know in the playoff, the track record hasn't necessarily been there in the last couple of years. But maybe based on this week and the last couple of weeks, should we take Oklahoma State as a legit title contender now? I Honestly, I think that they're a top five team in the country right now. I think this team is absolutely is as good as, the, as it comes. If we could play Bedlam next week, I would, I would be all for it. I, <laughs> yeah. I mean... Oklahoma State's offense is absolutely surgical. Mason Rudolph, if he's not on your Heisman board, you're not watching college football. I mean, the kid is unbelievable. James Washington is the best receiver in the country. That running back that they have, uh, Hill, 
uh, Justice Hill, I think is his name. Mm-hmm. Uh, he can he can really play too. I mean, honestly, Oklahoma State's offense is the best in the country, and I don't think there's a question there. Uh, the question really is: is if there can they do it on defense? They haven't been tested yet. Right now, I mean, they look great. Their defense looks good because they haven't really played a tough offense. But they will have to, you know, they're they're scheduled down the line. They will have to play Oklahoma, and that's going to be the question. I think the winner of that game, as long as there's no screw-ups, will be in the playoff. Yeah. Whether it's Oklahoma State or Oklahoma, whoever wins that game, as long as neither of them loses, they should be in the playoff because I think those – I mean, right now, you got two of the top – I'd say top five teams in the country in the state of Oklahoma. What's crazy, too, is that, and I like the fact that they're going to play a little earlier this year because of the, the weird uh, you know, Big 12 playoff system where it's basically around Robbins. So conceivably they could be meeting twice or, or however we see it, you know, whatever their new title game structure looks like. i got to give them credit because as far as three games has gone, they've looked great. Now, they will be tested a little more. TCU coming up, which we'll get to at the end of the show, the number 16 team, that'll be a good test. And then obviously Oklahoma. And there's some pitfalls in there. Kansas State, West Virginia, a couple others as well. But I liked how this offense, you mentioned surgical. They feel like they're going to score every possession. And it's that confidence factor. Rudolph is absolutely a Heisman contender, though I will caution you a little bit, Ron, with the fact that it's early. We've seen Heisman contenders come and go three weeks into a season. And there's no no way that either he or Mayfield wins the Heisman without a good game against the other team. That that's just not going to happen. So absolutely, gonna, yeah, yeah, that's that's absolutely true. So I'm I'm saying, are they a top five team? I can't really say now. They're six six where they are is seems just about fine. Right now we're just, I mean, right now, Ron, obviously we're just basically politicking for these teams because they'll they'll figure a lot of this out on the field. So where they're ranked now doesn't right. necessarily and the, no, matter. The, yeah, the rankings in week the rankings in week four really don't mean anything, especially until those playoff rankings come out that's what really matters i mean the ap is the ap rankings it is what it is but it only really matters when we get down to the time where they start ranking up for the playoffs so they're dominant this week i do think though still it's only going to be one team because i think like we're saying with clemson just a second ago oklahoma state probably has to run the table now if they lose a tight game close and then maybe put one on oklahoma maybe you could say they're in there but they don't want to leave anything to chance. And with their schedule, if they beat TCU convincingly, there's no reason to think that they can't go undefeated. Just like Oklahoma, if they win this game, can't you know go undefeated. I, I feel myself having to pull the reins back because we're still about two months away from the Bedlam game. Right, and you don't want to you know you don't want to fully overreact, obviously. And like you said, it is they've only played three games, but you know I think it's okay to get a little excited about a team like this because I mean they're just they're fun to watch. I mean there's no there's no other way to put it, whether you're a fan or not. Uh, if you're a fan of college football, you got to love watching this team play. And I do agree with you that maybe they do have to run the table, but say they go undefeated and only lose that Oklahoma game and still somehow get into that Big 12 title game and beat Oklahoma then, then you start having that question. Can they get in so, if, if they win If they win the Big 12? <laughs> I'm glad you said that because that's worst-case scenario, what you just said, because then – both those teams will have one loss, and they'll, say they'll have split with each other. <laughs> so we, right, we won't exactly. know, no that's, one will know what to that's, do. And that's where it really comes down to, does the team from the Big 12 at all get in? And I think there has to be a, a team from the Big 12 that gets in this year, uh, just because, especially because Oklahoma beat Ohio State, I think that was, that was a statement for the Big 12. That was a, hey, look, 
quit leaving us out of the playoffs. Oklahoma State, if they can run the table, even if they do lose that Oklahoma game, if they were to win the Big 12 title, I think you have to you have to look at who wins that Big 12 title game. It should be in the playoffs. Yeah, I I would take I think the tie would go to who wins that game. Although you know somebody has to get left out every year, you know. And if we look right, at exactly. the numbers, there's always, the, there's always going to be that 15. Yeah, the numbers of the Big Ten, just the quantity of teams you feel, feel like one's going to get in. Bama, obviously, we're probably penciling them in, <laughs> maybe with ink in a little bit here. Uh, but then you have USC looking good. So yeah, somebody, you know, Clemson, Big Twelve, somebody might get left out. But right, you and you, you know, you wonder about you know a Penn State in in the Big Ten. You know, it's, there mm-hmm. are five Power Five conferences, so there's going to be someone that's left out. We'll see. Well, Ron Schultz, Money Mitch Effect. I, I got to bring this game up because we uh, we monitor the SEC a lot on this show. The ending of the week: Florida, Tennessee. Florida wins twenty six to twenty on a Sully, hail mary sixty three yard pass. Poor Sully, indeed, um, just a heartbreaker for for his Tennessee Volunteers. And I just want to set the table with this: Florida was in control of this game twenty to ten, and Tennessee stormed all the way back. Could have gone for the uh, the winning touchdown, couldn't convert, settled for the tying field goal. Florida stalling out on offense, and then Felipe Franks just goes sixty three yards to Tyler to Tyree Cleveland for the Hail Mary improbable touchdown win. First thing I'm going to say, Ron, how does this happen? Maybe two years in a row now. Remember, Georgia would have been a Hail Mary loss pretty much the same if they don't get one back to them at the end of that game. But you know when you're when the ball is 63 yards away from your end zone with basically time for one play, that's all they're going to do. How does Tennessee repeatedly fall for these plays? Honestly, I don't, I don't have an explanation because I was, I was floored by how poorly the, the prevent defense is there. You have one play. They have one shot. You have to put everyone back in the end zone. Just get everybody back and knock it down. Put in your, put in your tallest receiver. I mean, the Eagles, uh, I'm, I'm you know, bringing it to the NFL, but the Eagles had a shot at a Hail Mary. Guess what? They put in Travis Kelsey in there to knock the ball down. Get, the Chiefs put in Travis Kelsey to knock the ball down. What Tennessee has allowed to happen I, I honestly, I have no explanation for it. I was surprised. I mean, yes, the kid was fast and he ran behind two guys, but you guys shouldn't even be covering him up there. I, I was blown away. It was bad. I mean, poor defense. I mean, great, you know, great play for Florida. And from a college football fan standpoint, it was a great play and, you know, good win for Florida, obviously. But, I mean, geez, oh, Pete, how do you let that happen? Yeah, and Frank's the fact that, I mean, I give him credit because he chucked that ball. Like, I didn't think he had the arm to get it to the end zone. And he, he threw a, a strike, and Cleveland ran under it full speed. Uh, just a disappointing loss for Tennessee for a number of reasons. One being that ending. Two being, I thought they had the more talented team. You know, I watched in the game, and, and just as an observer on the outside, I thought their skill level was a little higher. I thought their offensive play calling was horrible in the first half especially. I mean, the amount of times that they tried to just lay up to, to no avail, they get inside the goal line and, and, and they can't score. They come away with nothing. I, uh, I'm i not on the Butch Jones sucks bandwagon yet, but this game isn't helping uh, his defenders, let me tell you that. No, that's for sure. And, and what didn't, didn't help his defenders either was his statement today when someone asked him about how they couldn't score when they had first and goal from the one. They said that they checked out of a run play on first down then they thought about going for a quarterback sneak on second down, but 
the quarterback that was in hadn't he he had that tweak in his arm. The backup quarterback hadn't taken any snaps from under center during practice, so they didn't want to do that. So then they passed again, and then on third down it obviously didn't work. And it's like, are you are you are you kidding me? I mean, it was right. It's I, first and goal from the one, man. Like, I, yeah, how do you one. have that many excuses him, on deck? Honestly, like that. Put, a, put a defensive lineman in the backfield, give him the ball, and let him run somebody over. It's it's first and goal from the one. It just does. It blows my mind. It was, yeah, it was a, a rough game. For... Coaches, I, I swear, they overthink mm. those short yardage situations so much. Especially on first down. It just, like, it, yeah, just run it right in. It's, but yeah, it's, for, it's first and goal. Just run it. Even if you run it four times, I almost guarantee it gets in. You know, very rarely does something like that get stuck. And to not run the ball at all from first and goal from the one, come on. Yeah, we were uh, we were talking about this too because, and I don't think this Florida team's that good either. The way they looked against Michigan, the schedule's going to heat up for them. Tennessee losing a game that they should. Yeah, won. their defense isn't very. Or their, I'm sorry, their offense isn't very good. No, no, their defense has some players, but it's you know a lot of who's going to come back, who's going to you know from the suspensions. But if if you're betting against that Brian Kelly coaching tree, I have a parlay for you. Right, Michigan State this week, Georgia the following week. Um, I think it's two weeks away, maybe three weeks away, over Tennessee. If Georgia beats Tennessee, Butch Jones' job is going to be in serious jeopardy. That's my opinion. I think so, too, and I think Georgia is a better team than Tennessee. <laughs> yeah. I, I, look, man, I, I, I know we feel bad for Sully, our mutual friend, in this in this right, whole I, thing, but they it, need to it, probably it's start from say, scratch. It's tough to say, but it's the truth. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, you can't be losing this games repeatedly. I mean... And we talked about the offensive play calling. It's a main. It's a main reason why they were down two, three scores in that Florida game last year to start. You know, and it took some big plays to get themselves back into it. I don't know. I'm and I'm saying this with no affiliation to either program, but Tennessee absolutely should have won that game, and I would be very, very heartbroken to lose that game, uh, as opposed to maybe one where a, a team might be better. Um, but another team I do want to mention quickly before we get into some games this week, Ron, that looked awful. A uh, horrible performance by LSU, and on the flip side, a great performance by Mississippi State as they put it on LSU at home in Starkville, 37-7. to The number 12 team in the country gets destroyed. This, I mean, I, the crazy I'm, thing I'm is I'm not that sure. He's coming into LSU next week, man. That's how bad it was. That's <laughs> yeah. how confident. I, I mean, that was awful. Well, I wouldn't go that far. marching down to Baton Rouge would, going, maybe we can meet this team. I, would, I wouldn't go that far, full disclosure. Not going to hey, go that hey, far. Hey, hey, you got you to have faith, man. Uh, oh, man. But Mississippi State, I thought they had a chance in this game. I think Dan Mullins is one of the best coaches in the SEC. But I didn't see this coming. 30 points. I mean, LSU's offense, again, looks terrible. But their defense from the second quarter on, Ron, just got pushed around. Well, yeah, this is supposed to be the best defense in the SEC and possibly the best defense in the country. And uh, it's not. I mean, there's no other way to put it. It's not. They looked pretty awful. And they got pushed around by a team that definitely has much less talent than they do. I mean, there's no other there's no other way to put it. LSU has more talent on both sides of the ball than Mississippi State. And I think you're right. I think it comes down to Dan Mullen got the job done on, on the coaching side. And I don't know if this is an Orgeron issue or, or the, the guys just didn't um, execute or whatever, but, I mean, that's embarrassing. It is. 37-7 uh, uh, to, to an unranked opponent. That's <laughs> embarrassing. The one advantage I think they have is Nick Fitzgerald. I think we'd all agree on that. You know that he is one of the underrated quarterbacks, probably in the country. He's been doing it for a while. Look, it's the same old song and dance with LSU for whatever reason. If a team can get up on you, if a team gets an advantage, they can't throw the ball. 
So then they become one-dimensional, and defenses can easily key on that running game. And next, we talk about coaches in jeopardy. How about LSU, Texas A&M coming up? <laughs> that could yeah, be, right. That could like be the, a loser gets like fired. It's like who, the who seed is hotter bowl with someone and, and, and order on. I mean, the, neither of them have been uh, you know, lighting the world on fire, and I think they both have the chance of getting themselves fired if they don't win that game. Part of me thinks too. Well, let me just let me spell it out for you too, Ron. If Syracuse wins, he's fired. He's gone. I think yeah, Orgeron. Yeah, Orgeron's gone. gone. And it, and it'd be funny because Orgeron also used to coach at Syracuse. So you know, <laughs> maybe we'll pull a little bit of the Scott Schaefer what he did to us. Yeah. You know, with Middle Tennessee, we come in there, we march in. It's not going to happen. I'm not getting my hopes up. But if we do, it'd be pretty dope. <laughs> well, uh, not gonna well, lie. No, yeah, not gonna lie. Well, I want to transition now, Money Mitch Effect, Ron Schultz, to talking about your alma mater. I'll give you some time to talk about it. It, it hasn't been the best start of the year, I think you'd agree. But what what are your feelings right now about Syracuse football just going forward? And I know the Middle Tennessee loss hurts, but what do you think this season can bring? Anything? Could we? Can you maybe get to bowl eligibility? Is that in play? <sighs> maybe. I think that the Middle Tennessee loss could have bumped us out of it. I mean, we, we got to pull off an upset. So we have two wins now. If you look forward at the schedule, I think we can beat Pitt. Pitt looks pretty terrible. Yeah, they're awful. Uh, I think we can beat Pitt. Who knows about Wake? Because Wake is putting up points like crazy. Yeah. The question is, can we put up points with Wake? I don't know. The fighting Dino Babers put up 50 the first week, 41 last week, and only 23 the week before. So... Do we have an explosive offense when it works? Yes. I guess the question is, is, can we do it against Wake? And then I think we can beat BC. So let's see. That's five wins. So in there, you have to beat either LSU, NC State, Clemson, Miami, Florida State, or Louisville. So you got to pull off one of those upsets to get to a bowl game. Mm. Mm. They do. I, I will say that Syracuse has a tendency every year that I've been following them to pull off one ridiculous upset that no one saw coming every year in the Dome. Yeah, Bot Tech, years prior, we beat Geno Smith's West Virginia team. They beat number nine Louisville when Teddy Bridgewater was there. There is some Dome magic. I I do believe that. I think there there is usually one one funky win in there. But the question is, is can they get it done against the teams they're supposed to beat? Because, I mean, they simply didn't against, you know, Middle Tennessee is supposed to come in to the Dome I mean, that's, that was, I think everyone had that marked as a win for Syracuse. And from a talent standpoint, Syracuse has it all over Middle Tennessee, and they didn't get it done. So the question is, is, do they get it done against the right teams? And then, you know, can they knock off a Miami, uh, somebody? Yeah. Well, I think can they knock off a team they're not supposed to? I think that's why they brought in Babers, though, right? Win those big games to win at least Right, some and they're, you know, and they say that there's the, there's the Babers, you know, the second year leap. I mean, he's at every school that he's coached at the second year that he's been there, mm-hmm. those teams have jumped up. It's a little bit different when you play in the ACC and you play teams like Clemson, Miami and Florida state in the three week span. I mean, that's a little tougher yeah. uh, than, you know, what he was doing at Bowling Green and the Mac, uh, nothing against matching, but no, the ACC is a little tougher. So <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, yeah. it's also, it's hard to, it's hard to recruit to Syracuse. I think, but it's fair. I, I think it, it's hopefully it's coming. I mean, it's not, you know, you need to get your recruits in there. You need to get them acclimated to the system. Uh, the middle Tennessee loss was gutting, but 
you can make up for it by winning a game you're not supposed to. And I think it's you know you you I agree with your assessment. You guys are hovering right around that five and seven, six and six range this year. You know the question will be right. can and they I, get enough wins to get there? Right. And I I, I think if we had won that NTSU game, I think you start saying yeah, I think they can win six games. But mm-hmm. uh, at this point with that loss, that could be I mean that could be the early nail in the coffin. You don't want to say that obviously, but they have a tough schedule. Yeah. They have a very tough schedule. They play at Miami, at Florida State, and at Louisville, at LSU next week. I mean, you got your your toughest opponents that, you know, if you were going to pull off one of those upsets, they're all on the road. And I don't know if you're going to pull off one of those upsets on the road. No, well, it's going to be tough, but we're all uh, <laughs> we're all watching for you, so we'll see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> even though, even our, our, digi- our digital only game. Yeah. It, was, it, was on, it was on at the, uh, at the Buttons place. It was, so. We were watching that, and now it's uh, misery, but we were there. But all right, Ron Schultz, Money Mitch Effect. This week, as I mentioned, week four, not the biggest uh, you know, allotment of games, but Ron, what are, what's one game in particular that you're looking at to, with a lot of excitement, outside of the Syracuse game, I should say? I think, honestly, the best game this week is that Oklahoma State-TCU game, and I'm honestly surprised that for some unridiculous reason that college game day is coming to New York City instead of going to that game. I think that's that's the game of the week, in my opinion. I think you got, I mean, right now, ranked 6 versus 16, and uh, Stillwater would be a great place to have to have college game day, in my opinion. They might be waiting, I guess, for Bedlam, but I don't know. I'm yeah. just saying, I think that's, I think that's the best it, game of the, of, of the week, and I think you really get to see, like we were saying, we, you know, we don't know if, if Oklahoma State's for real. You'll know after this week. Yeah, I think it should be a great game, too. I think T- TCU's defense is a little better, but the biggest thing is their offense. I don't want to say can go with Oklahoma State, but they can put up points, too. Oklahoma State's a pretty big favorite, almost two-touchdown favorite, but I think this will be a pretty good game. And I think this you know we mentioned the starts of all these games. TCU and any team that plays Oklahoma State can't get pushed around off the opening snap, or it'll fall apart very big. Uh, one game I do want to mention, though, that I think is uh, a pretty underrated game, you know, we mentioned those teams a little earlier, but Mississippi State, Georgia, I got my eye on that game because we're always we're trying to figure out who is next up past Bama in the SEC. Mississippi State showed something last week. Georgia's at home. You know, they beat Notre Dame. They've, they've got their tough part of the schedule coming up. I wouldn't sleep on this game being a classic. No, and I think I think you're right. I think that that game. You know, you really get to see if if Mississippi State stepping up and beating LSU, or was it LSU just simply not having enough. Uh, and this is where you see if they step up. And you also get to see what Georgia's made of, because I think there's been a lot of hype around Georgia. I mean, hype around Georgia that hasn't been there. And I, I couldn't tell you the last time there's been as much hype around Georgia as there is right now. Um, so you get to see what they're really made of. So I, I agree. I think that's, I mean, that's the SEC game of the week to watch, for sure. I think so as well. And uh, I do want to mention uh, a couple games before we wrap this up on the West Coast the game that I'm going to have my eye on this week is Stanford-UCLA. I think that could be something to see because I think UCLA shown that their offense, very good. Defense, very bad. Now, will Stanford be able to play Stanford football because they haven't looked hot either? So I think this could be a, a very intriguing matchup and also another chance to see Josh Rosen maybe against a little better defense this time. Right, and I think, I think Stanford, they were real high after... You know, they, they hung with SC for a little while there, and I think there was a lot of confidence coming in. And then to go and, and to lose at San Diego State, I think, was a 
was definitely a blow for them. But then if you look on the other side of the ball, UCLA, they get that amazing touchdown that may have been a bobble and not a touchdown to win it and come back and win in week one, and then they go to Memphis and lose. I mean, that's – I think both of these teams kind of were high and then yeah. got knocked down a little bit last week. Uh, so you really get to see who's going to step up. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say Stanford's going to find their way into the Pac-12 title game because I don't think at, at this point with two losses and with Oregon and Utah and Washington State and Washington on schedule, I don't think that's in the cards for them. Their defense is definitely good. Their offense is the question. Yeah, this is the unpredictable game. You know, Stanford is a, a seven and a half point favorite right now, so you know, they open up at about nine and a half. And I think UCLA is unpredictable. I think this game could be a, a nail biter, and I don't know what what way to lean on it. The last two games I want to talk about, Ron. Do you think there's any chance Michigan State knocks off Notre Dame this week? It's uh, to be a four and a half point game, I think, right now. Um, honestly, I'll never count out a, a D'Antonio coach team. I think they do show up for big games. The issue with Michigan State is. For them, they I feel like they do the same thing that Syracuse does, which is they don't show up to the games that they're supposed to win. Yeah. Uh, well, but, it should but help as underdogs games, here, yeah. <laughs> right. And, I mean, whether whether Michigan State is technically the underdog or not or whatever, but, I mean, playing Notre Dame is always a big game. It's always on a national stage. And for this Michigan State team, I think it, it's kind of a put-up or shut-up type deal. They're not a stellar team. They're not great. They're not going to win the Big 12 or the Big 10. I'm sorry. But if you can go and you can beat, obviously Notre Dame's coming to them, but if you can beat Notre Dame, you start you start talking. I mean, they are 2-0, and then you start questioning maybe they pull off a Michigan upset. They still have Penn State and Ohio State coming up. I don't think this is Michigan State's year. But, you know, it's always it's, I think it's always a fun game when a Michigan team plays a Notre Dame team. Because I think there's all that Midwest college football love kind of blending together there, and it should be a fun game. Right, I would agree with that, too. And I also just don't know how good Notre Dame is either. So, I think uh, Yeah, and I don't think anybody really does. Nobody yeah. really knows if well, they're good or not. Well, if you want my pick for a potential upset looking at this, I'm going to go to a familiar place you and I both know. That's Pac-12 after dark. Late game in Boulder. I, Colorado, Washington, Ron. I think that could be a good game. Washington is a 10.5 point favorite on the road. Now, I don't know if they're going to lose this game, but that's just a lot of points to go into a Colorado team that made the Pac 12 title game last year. I don't know, Ron. I think I'm, I'm pretty optimistic here. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to take the points, I think this is, this is definitely a game you could take uh, where Colorado at least covers if nothing mm-hmm. else. That receiver that they have, that I think it's Shea Field or somebody. They, they got a great receiver, and, and winning in Colorado is a tough place, too. I mean, that's a tough place to play. I, I think it's an underrated tough place because people don't really think of Colorado as – but they made the jump last year, they I did. think. They became a force to be reckoned with, and I think you have to you have to give them the respect. I do think that Washington is a better team. They're a more talented team. They have all-around better players. The beauty of college football is you never know. It doesn't always come down to talent. It comes down to execution and, and just getting it done, better game plan. I agree with you. I think if I were betting this game, though, I would probably bet on the points. I wouldn't mm-hmm. bet on I wouldn't bet on Colorado beating Washington, but I think it might it could be closer than than the uh, than the spread predicts. So I know Browning's a good quarterback, but he didn't have his best game in that Pac-12 title game. That's probably the main reason why I'm thinking this could be a lot tougher game. 
You mentioned how good that place is to play. I'm yeah. I, I'm. <laughs> it's early in the week. We'll see how I feel at the end of the week. But I'm leaning points, not uh, not outright win. But you never know. And then upsets happen in college football. Why can't it be uh, you know in Boulder this week? I think this is this is, should be a great game. And uh, for all you East Coast junkies out there looking for something to watch on Saturday night, this is this is it. I think. Yeah, I definitely I definitely uh, agree with you. I think it could be could be a good game uh, at night. All right, well, Ron Schultz, hey, thanks for coming on College Football Talk on the Money Mitch Effect, but you recently started your own podcast. Uh, Want to share some of that with us? Tell us how it's going. Yeah, give a little, give a little plug. Um, one of my buddies and I that uh, work down at Yahoo, I work over at Yahoo Sports here in New York, and uh, we're both pretty big sneaker heads, so we decided to, to start a little sneaker podcast called uh, Sneaker Yahoos. Obviously, mm. a little, little play on the name. But I mean, if you if you got any any listeners out there, you guys are into uh, into kicks and just want to hear us break down whatever the biggest shoe releases are coming out. We break down a quick little, you know, best shoe to get for the money, an undercover shoe that you can get right now. Just you know, a little bit different, a little bit break from just sports, but it's yeah. uh, you know a cool way to to kind of bring fashion, style, and sports together because you start, you know, you talk about the athletes that that you know run them and how that how that goes and. You get a little bit of a look into uh, into the companies and what they're doing and how they how they decide what shoes go where. So if you guys are interested, give it a listen. It's called Sneaker Yahoos. We have a Twitter page, just at Sneaker Yahoos. Throw it a follow and uh, give it a listen if you're interested. All right, yeah, we'll definitely check that out. And uh, hopefully you're not having to go do remote shows when they release the Jordans because that could be dangerous. <laughs> no, yeah, I'm definitely gonna. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna stick with the online releases. There you go. I think, there for you now. go. All <laughs> right, that's that's good. We'll definitely check that out, Ron Schultz. Thanks for coming on, and good luck uh, with everything. And uh, importantly, maybe more importantly, good luck to Syracuse this weekend. Uh, thank you very much, and uh, thanks for having me on again. It was good. All right, big thanks. Ron Schultz and go check out his podcast Sneaker Yahoo's keep watching college football always never know <laughs> what you're going to expect it is like Forrest Gump's box of chocolates you just never know what you're going to get uh, uh, it makes me want to go to Bubba Gump's trip in Santa Monica now but thanks again to Ron Schultz and uh, thanks again for breaking down college football alright now it's time to talk the pro game Joe Crisali We've been working together. We had worked together at NFL Network uh, for a year, but we uh, have been, you know, breaking down football on this show for a while, and it's now time to talk about the NFL. A wild week two. The Patriots get back in shape. His Broncos put a beating on the Cowboys, and some real ugly games as well to break down, too. Some ugly offenses to discuss. It's Joker Sally. It's NFL football and the Money Mitch Effect. Here it is now. Well, week two in the books, uh, there's a lot of excitement, a lot of up and down, ups and downs in the NFL season. Let's start with uh, a down, and that's uh, the color rush was back, Texans and Bengals, and my God, was that the worst game you've seen in this last decade? Yeah, it was terrible, but you can't really blame the guys. I, I honestly don't blame the, the players because that turnaround for them to, to get ready and in game form from... Sunday to Thursday is ridiculous. Like your body is not going to recover from that type of beating that you take during a game. 
within four days while you're also practicing within Monday, Tuesday. Actually, only three days. They have three days to prepare and for their bodies to recover mm-hmm. while while they're, you know, practicing. And your body's not going to recover that way, so they're just going exhausted into those Thursday games, and that's why I think these games have been sucking major butt in the last yeah. couple of years. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, uh, I'm glad you brought that up. A couple of points that I want to bring up. One being... The Dolphins and Bucks, who have 16 straight games to go now, you know, no bye week. Why don't they mm-hmm. just wave the white flag for the Thursday night game? It just makes the most sense. But the bigger point being, I would rather not do Thursday night and just do a doubleheader on Monday night every week. Yeah, the doubleheader on Monday night in opening week is always interesting. You get the first game that starts at, was like, 720, and then the, the late game. And... The only problem with that, though, is you're going to have to watch at least the second game on Monday Night Football on mute because it's unlistenable. <laughs> Not a big uh, Rexy fan, huh? Rex and Beth, the new. No, studio. that was that was terrible, especially because it was my Broncos playing, so I was yeah. expecting it to be well, you got to hear a decent Ser- game. <laughs> you got to hear Sergio. Dip, it's in a, yeah, that was the best part. I, I was I was came back inside from walking the dog, and I just heard him saying, "This guy is having the time of his life," and I was like, "What the hell is going on right now?" We gotta have him do multiple sports, like have him interview coaches in the NHL. You know, try that or sideline interview Greg Popovich. Just mix and match him until we find uh, the right setup. But yeah, I uh, man, Thursday nights though, it, it, you're not gonna get the best product on the field normally. I will say too. Texans O-line, really, really bad. Bengals' entire offense, disgustingly bad. So it wasn't the best recipe. Now, I know I'm saying that before the Rams play the Niners next week, but the Texans oh. are going to win ugly, and the Bengals are, are just a train wreck on offense. I think Dalton's on borrowed time as that quarterback. Yeah, man. I I don't know if it's a Dalton just for him. I think it was the OC that they had because when they had Hugh Jackson there, he turned Dalton and Green into like the best duo ever maybe not ever but they're they were awesome then they got this new guy in this year which are the last year and this year and just things weren't clicking and they drafted i know i'm gonna bring this guy up crap on me but joe mixon they drafted that dude that punched that chick in the face yeah, at Oklahoma. That's always known. he when you watch the games he knows what to do he runs to me when i watch him play he looks like Le'Veon bell he's built like bell and he has the same patience and he runs like him and he knows what he's doing. And every time they put him out there, he was getting positive gains. He was getting them in positions to get first downs and move the ball down the field. But they kept taking him out. And they kept putting in Jeremy Hill. And he was just running into an O-lineman's back doing nothing. And Gio Bernard was, was just trying to maneuver his way around. If they can get, like, a decent system of plays where they have mix in and they get the ball to Green. I know Green and Dalton are, are the hookup, so why are they not throwing him the ball? Mm-hmm. This didn't make any sense. Yeah, and they they got to switch to with their strengths, and if that's not Dalton, I mean, there's nobody else. They fired the offensive coordinator. Like, there's nothing else to do now except for you know bench Dalton. And and I don't know. I mean, I, I thought this team was trending downward. I think you know that appears to be the case. But it was uh, a win for the Texans. I do. Let's switch to positive topics because I know there's one thing that's got you brimming, and that's the Denver Broncos. You know what they were able mm. to do to the Cowboys yesterday, forty-two to seventeen. Very odd game with the lightning delay in the middle of it. Denver was in control then, and they just added to their lead. But, Joe, Trevor Simeon. I mean, we know this Bronco defense is good, so I'm not too surprised that they played well yesterday. But this is a quarterback that a lot of people weren't even sure he'd be on the roster 
on this team. And here he is. Not only is he a starter, but he's one of the top 10 quarterbacks in the NFL right now. This might be the most shocking thing of all in the league. I know, dude. What it is is they got Mike McCoy at OC, and he clearly is clicking with Simeon. And Simeon, the way that they're drawing up these plays and and everything that's happening, he's getting the ball out of his hand much, much quicker than he was last year. And I think that's what you can attribute to the huge difference. And he has a lot more confidence. He's throwing balls into tight zones that he wouldn't have done last year where he would wait in the pocket, and now he's not waiting in the pocket. He sees this guy that he wants. He looks off the other dude, and he, and he throws the completion, and that's that's what you want, especially the guy like Simeon. He's smaller. He was born in Danbury, Connecticut, town over for me. So what a what a I mean, grew up in Florida, but that's where he was born. But um, he's been great, and for what he did to that Cowboys defense is cannot be taken lightly. I know that they they mixed in the run game pretty well with C.J. Anderson, but he was making some pretty good throws to Sanders and and Thomas, and he had some good ones to Virgil Green. The one he had down the middle in the third quarter was was pretty dope. But um, the guy's got what? How many touchdowns did he have in the first game? He had four this game. I think the first game he had two. Two or three. Two or three. So, I mean, he's looking pretty good. And if this offense is going to play like this, then the rest of the league should just hand in the white flags now. Because no one is is passing that defense. So you're saying that Trevor Simeon probably had some Whalers gear as a kid. All right, I can dig it. He's probably yeah, a Yeah, he's a Whaler. He's definitely, yeah, I don't know. He, well, he was born in Connecticut. He didn't grow up in Connecticut. Uh, so, okay. no. Well, look, I also think, I mean, he's been playing great. He's a smarter quarterback. You can see that he made the leap that, you know, we often expect these young quarterbacks to at least show progress, which we haven't seen in young guys, like a la Blake Bortles. But Simeon has <laughs> taken that next step from a rookie that's really raw to a guy that's confident making the throws and, and isn't staring down his receivers. But we saw what happened last year at the end of the season, Joe, and I think C.J. Anderson being healthy is a big part of this too because you said they're mixing in runs. It's good when you have a guy they trust back there that can be the bell cow, that can keep the defenses honest. I think you mix in the total package. I think McCoy's biggest impact on this offense is that they're unpredictable now. It used to be a cliche, Denver's just going to try to run the ball, run the ball, maybe open it up on third down. With McCoy, you don't know what's going to happen on any play. And I think that with that defense that still has not missed a beat. I mean, it's scary how consistent the Denver D has been. Yeah, I wasn't. There. I was. I'm. I was wrong. I didn't think they'd be this good right now, and they clearly are. Yeah, and their D is not healthy. Like Shane Ray is out, and some guys that they had up up front on the line have not been healthy either. Like Derek Wolf, and they have some other guys they're putting in there, and they are just holding their own. They got that dude Pecco who played for the Bengals, and now he's yeah. he's really he's a good run stopper, and that's oh, exactly yeah. what they need. And they, like holding Elliott to nine carries for eight yards, that shouldn't be taken lightly. And no. picking off Dak Prescott, who's only thrown now five picks in his entire career, is like it's crazy. I think it's going to be a weird season for the Cowboys. It just has that vibe, right? Like they're still kind of they might have outperformed last year. I don't know offensively if they're as explosive. Dez just looks like he might be regressing. I, I don't know what's up with him. He and, doesn't look like he cares. Yeah. He you know? just looks like he's just there. Well, and it's spread, it might be spreading because Zeke at times didn't look like he cared too much. It, it is a tough place to play. It's hard to overreact after one week. The Patriots have taught, the, taught us that year in, year out. So I want to see more from this Dallas team. But it was just a weirdly poor performance for them. So I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt being just one game. But... Hats off to Denver. Now, your other team, Have you? I, I need to clarify this. Have you given up on the Jets? 
You checked out? Yeah, man. I, I, I'm one team. I'm one man band now, and okay. every everything. I've dropped that. I'm sick of listening to everyone's crap over. It. Oh, <laughs> okay. you got two teams. I love how we so, bullied you. We we effectively bullied cyber bullied you out of having two teams. Who said bullying was all? Nah, that? It, it was that, and then some other things. But you know, I just you got at some point you just got to separate the two. Well, the Jets. Luckily for you, the Jets are awful. Um, you know, you, you picked the right and one. And that's not why. I, I, was, I have to put out there that that's not why. I, I decided last year that that was it. So the Jets but, are yeah. a team that aren't really going anywhere, and they're clearly building for the future. And the Raiders in the uh, other direction, now 2-0 and with, an improbable, with a very, very big win over the Jets. But I was on the camp that, Joe, after the, the Raiders beat the Titans, it was kind of an uglier game. I expected to see a little more from that offense. I know it's the Jets, but the Raiders putting up 45 points, looking like that offense that we expected to see. Carter Crabtree three times, Richard, Beast Mode in the backfield. I know defensively they still have some questions, but I think Oakland's offense, it's safe to say, Joe, is on pace to be one of the premier ones in the league this year. Oh, yeah, they, they got that firepower on offense for sure. I just, it's just you got to look at the teams that they got to match up with in their own division. Even like, can that high-powered what a, offense what a division, go man. through oh the Denver defense the way they looked last week? That division is so good, like as good as any division I've seen in a long time. The AFC West, exactly. And then the Chiefs are good, the Broncos are good, the Chargers. You know, the the Chargers they just lose in the fourth quarter every time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Classic Chargers. Uh, yeah, I, I think the Raiders. I mean, Raiders, Chiefs, Broncos. All three of those teams can go all the way this year. How they're built, and they're just built so differently. Um, the thing with the Raiders, though, and I think you'd agree with this too, that quick strike ability, that ability to get on the on the board quick and in a hurry. I mean, that could just snowball through these teams. So uh, I think there's going to be a lot of uh, teams beating up. The defense looks a little better. Khalil Mack is not the only player on that defense. Uh, but, I mean, yeah, we have to probably see them play teams other than the Jets to really, you know, jump on board. Uh, but, yeah, that 13, yeah. the Chiefs, the Chiefs and the Eagles played a good game. You know, Philly seems like they're a solid team this year. But I also get the sense that people are going to look at the scoreline and say, well, the Chiefs only won by seven, and, you know, it was closer. The Eagles made it interesting late. I get the sense, and this is no knock, it's probably the opposite of a knock on Kansas City, Joe, but the way Andy Reid coaches, they're not built to blow teams out. They'll win by seven every time, and he'll enjoy the heck out of it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's exactly the way I would put it, for sure. You know, Kareem Hunt, as much of a value pick as that's been, I mean, <laughs> I know it's just the year of the rookie running backs, but it's crazy to think that he's, at now at this point in time, the best rookie running back, this third rounder out of Toledo. But you watch him play, and the explosiveness there. I mean, I don't know if we were not expecting the big playability, but the stat of all those, you know, five touchdowns from scrimmage in his first two games, just remarkable stuff from the kid out of Toledo. You know who he reminds me of? He reminds me of a former Andy Reid player, oh, Brian Westbrook. Okay, I knew you were going to say that. He's not, I mean, he's not a huge guy, but he does literally everything that you need him to do. He can catch passes. He can run inside the tackles, outside the tackles. How did he get drafted so much later in the draft if was, he's this good? It, it was the I feel like thing. running. I feel like young running backs are just so undervalued now, and, and ones that are taken early, like Gurley, they just turn out to not be good. Gurley, so you uh, just, I guess, have to. Gurley's not he, terrible. But compared yeah. to the way his first season was, right. you know? Yeah. I think this year, Hunt got oh my screwed. God. <laughs> <laughs> I think Hunt got screwed by the fact that. 
there are so many other good running backs in the class that went to bigger schools. Uh, and, and, yeah. and I will agree with you on one point. It doesn't make as much sense as a guy like maybe Tariq Cohen, who's five foot six. You think maybe we're not sure what he's going to look like in the NFL. But, yeah, with Cook and with Fournette and with McCaffrey, I think he just got, you know, overshadowed. Um, but it's a yeah. shame because this Chiefs team is good too. And it's funny how all, the, all three of these teams match up with each other because I think the Chiefs match up more favorably to the Raiders than the Broncos, but I don't know that I would agree. Yeah. You know, I think it's just like a merry-go-round of teams. I think they're all, they're all probably going to beat each other once, and the Chargers will blow like five games in division late in the final minute. Which, by the way, I mean, I wasn't really focusing on all AFC West to start the show, but we do have to address the Chargers. And if Philip Rivers is just in this perpetual state of, I'm down by two with a minute left, I'm still going to lose the game. Because it seems like we're in a <laughs> yeah. vortex right now. Yeah. I do also have to apologize for my yelling earlier. Brandon Marshall actually caught a pass, so <laughs> oh, that was incredible. something that was happening. Incredible. But, <laughs> young, hey, is Young Hoku still on the Chargers? Did they cut him yet? Because it's kind of been no, ridiculous. they they have not. They haven't cut him yet, but he's definitely going to be a cut. Lock. I love how the the best thing people can say about him now, and I don't wish for anybody to be cut, but the thoughts on Twitter that oh well, a guy who got to spend a whole year with uh with the Bucks. It's like, well, a, a coach is not going to keep a kicker around just in spite, just to prove a point. Like you get fired if you mess this up, if you lose games. And they have two games you, they could have won. They could have won both. Ga- he didn't just miss one field goal at the end in that game. He missed a field goal earlier that mm-hmm. changed the game. Yeah. And then not being able to drill. I mean, I know in Denver he made the first one and they they called a timeout and he missed it the second time, but that's just part of the game. And then this other one, he just I don't miss it. <laughs> the What's Chargers. the deal with kickers, man? I, I What's don't the deal it. with that? Yeah, I mean, it's funny. And then you see the USC <laughs> kicker make two big ones down the stretch and, and help his team win. Yeah. I don't know. Chargers are a team that I think has a lot of talent. They're stuck in a brutal division and they can't win close games. And that's why they're going to miss the playoffs again this year, being stuck in, uh, yeah. in a loaded division and, and unable to make plays. Joe Crisali, Money Mitch Effect. I want to talk about a team that we didn't get to see the first week of the season. Looked pretty good yesterday, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I know they played the Bears, but it was a solid start to the season for the Buccaneers, 29-7. to And I'm bringing this up not because I want to talk about the Bears. I'm kind of done with that. But a lot of people are hailing this team as a uh, darling Super Bowl contender. Do you think they have that yeah. potential? Are they Are they as good as advertised or maybe even better than advertised? Whoa, 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 on the HBO hype train, okay? Okay, I know it's the Hard Knocks train. I got it. I'm, I'm fully aware. I mean, they look good, but look who they played. They played the Bears. Right. Uh, that game, I can't really take that game. I mean, their defense looked good, but they weren't going up against great competition. So I guess that first game, I'm kind of just tossing out the window until they play somebody who's actually half decent. Like, half decent, I would say, like the Panthers. I know they look terrible, but to me, they're like at least half decent. So once they start playing in their own division and stuff, then maybe I can gauge how they look because they don't have everybody. They don't have Doug Martin. And I'm not that he's that big of a difference maker for them because he's kind of similar to what they already have with Jaquiz Rogers. But um, Mike Evans is a, is a beast, and that offense is going to be totally different with Deshaun Jackson. But that that defense is really what what is um, driving them. I think we have to see how they do. It's funny. Uh, I was thinking about the Panthers though, because is that the easiest two and O that you can think, or the worst two and O we've seen? I mean, Niners oh, and man. Bills. But then I would say too, I, I would throw the Steelers in there 
because the Steelers beat the Browns, and then they got to play the Vikings with Case Keenum at home. So let's just, yeah, <laughs> you know, let, let's exactly. just be honest exactly. there. Uh, but the Bucks defense, if they step up, I think they're, they have that outside Super Bowl chance. But they feel a lot like the Raiders did for me last year, where they're going to make the playoffs, but you know they might make the playoffs, but I don't think they're ready to quite make that run yet. But Jameis, you know, if he plays well, we'll see. Uh, yeah, I don't want to spend too much time talking about Carolina and Buffalo because that game set football back about 40 years. Oh, man. Did, did you watch that game? I Unfortunately, I watched a little bit of it. And what I <laughs> – Cam Newton got beat up. Like, I don't – would he get sacked like six times? If the Bills could do anything on offense, they would have won that game. Absolutely. The Panthers were just hanging on by a thread the entire game. Cam Newton's shoulder was hanging on by a thread the entire game. He's not going to finish Basically, the season if he keeps getting hit like I, that. If he, yeah, do they need to shore up that line, or he need, they need to draw stuff up to get the ball out of his hands a lot quicker? Because the way that the plays that they draw up, they're like deep routes for Kelvin Benjamin, and now Olsen is out. So what the hell are they going to do now? Yeah, they got it, McCaffrey that they're not really utilizing him as much no. as they should be. They you don't draft a guy in that the top high, five. Yeah or top 10 and not get him the ball more than like 10 times a game. Yeah, and I get, get the ball. I get giving Stewart the ball and, and having McCaffrey because it's good to have two running backs. But, yeah, they got to find a way to throw it to him, mix and mash, you know. you know, And that they might have, be on coaching. If Andy Reid had McCaffrey, you know, or, or Belichick and Josh McDaniels, they'd find a way to get him the ball. Dude, if Belichick had McCaffrey, we might as well just give the Patriots the trophy before the season starts. I think I think Samuel, the rookie at Ohio State, is going to step in for a little bit too. I think he's the guy they have buried on their bench. But the Sunday night game, Joker Sally Money Mitch effect, a little I would say a little surprising. Atlanta just putting it on, putting it on the Green Bay Packers. They win that game thirty four to twenty three, but it was not that close. They were up I think thirty four to seven at one point. Joe the Falcons, offensively when they're at home and Matt Ryan is cooking. I know we'll, we'll have all those Super Bowl jokes in our memory for a long time, but when an offense gets going, you know, we talked about Oakland, but I think Atlanta's up there with any that I've seen in a long time. Yeah, their offense is great. They have so many different weapons. So many. Aside from Julio Jones and Devontae Freeman, there's, they're automatic. Like, those are the automatic guys, but they have other people like Sanu where they're good players. Like Coleman, they would be top top notch players yeah. on other teams, and they're just like afterthoughts. Like Coleman, yeah, Sanu. They have Gable, who's a speedster, you know, and they're just getting all mixed in. And they got Hooper, the young t- tight end, is turning out to be really good. But my favorite part about that Sunday night game was when the Falcons were up thirty-one to seven, and Chris Collinsworth actually said something funny. He oh. said, <laughs> he said. <laughs> Oh, man, if I – and he's like, I know Falcon fans probably been hearing this a lot, but I know this game's 31-7, to but I know as a Falcons fan that is not a comfortable enough lead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's just – I mean, they're not going to live that down until they win a Super Bowl, which Ever? they never That's do. forever. That's, that's a forever. Well, not if they – see, I think, yes, you're always going to remember part of that, but if they win a ring in the next three years, it gets lessened. It's not, it's not as bad, but – I uh, I guess so. Yeah, I just they didn't really even close that game out. If you no, think about no. it, they were up thirty-one to seven. And well, you Green know Bay, what, I think they finished with twenty-three. You know what changed, in my opinion, what changed, what gave Green Bay a glimmer of hope when Vic Beasley went down with an injury. Atlanta's pass That's, rush, when their pass rush is going, that probably is the best team in football. 
offense mm. top to bottom to defense because if they can get to the quarterback because mm. their secondary is not the best. I mean, every team has weaknesses. It's how they're they're designed. It's you know you can't pay everybody, but Atlanta's strength is getting to the quarterback, and they made Rogers' life miserable. If he's out, I mean, he's going to be out for about a month or so. That's going to be something to look at there. But Green Bay just cannot. They're, they're having a tough time protecting Rodgers. They're having a tough time staying healthy. How many receivers went out with an injury yesterday? Yeah, they lost their top two. They lost Cobb and they lost Nelson. That's huge. Now, my boy Martellus Bennett needs to get his head out of his butt. He's playing to give me some fantasy points because that's gr- ridiculous. Hey, it's a Green Bay tight end, man. You know what the game is. You know, you know that him you figured, Rogers, though, Aaron Rodgers. You figured Aaron Rodgers is the quarterback. He's got actually a talented tight end. He'll get him the ball. The answer to that is no, he won't. Hey, he'll 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 get you a hail mary against the Lions or something. You know, a couple weeks from now, something like that. But Joe, uh, we talked about games setting back football for a while. Another awful game yesterday, Seahawks-Niners. I mean, that was... Oh. And the funniest thing is the Seattle touchdown, the only touchdown, was on a total Russell Wilson ad-lib, make a couple guys miss, chuck it up, play to Paul Richardson, which I respect the, the hell out of Russell Wilson, but this team's got major O-line problems, and without that being fixed, I don't care how good the defense is, I don't care how good Russell Wilson is, they're not going anywhere. Their offensive line is the biggest piece of Swiss cheese I think I've seen since um, the Winnipeg Jets defense. That's pretty fair. Uh, I knew you were going to go hockey reference, but can't really stop. Well, when you say Swiss cheese, you you gotta you got or a sieve, you gotta go hockey. Yeah, like I was thinking like who was the guy Tyler Myers on the on the Sabers that wouldn't fight when Miller got beat up? That guy. Yeah, they're yeah, basically, they're no basically just, that team. they basically just turtle to steal a hockey reference whenever things go tough. I mean, Wilson's running for his life back there. The Niners are not good. You know, they are not a good football team. So for this to be a three-point game at home, not a good sign for the Seahawks. I mean, this division is. Thank God they're in the NFC West, not the AFC West. Right. If you think about how lucky the Seahawks are that their division is starting to go down south and by starting I mean like the Cardinals they don't look as good as they have in previous years oh yeah that's safe to say <laughs> like a team as bad as the Seahawks looked are about as big are like they're a lock pretty much to win that division based off of how bad the other teams are which is totally terrible but you know that team will put it together somehow towards the end of the season and they'll be like the most fired up team as it goes along but that's just how they are. They're just going to fight. They're right now. They're searching for an identity, and they don't have it because they don't have a good running game. Their offensive line is terrible, and their defense is good. Mm-hmm. That's what they have to do. And I guess if we're comparing apples to apples, Trevor Simeon is better than Russell Wilson. Well, he's playing better right now. <laughs> yeah. But is he a better player? Let's let this season finish before I'm ready to make um, that commitment. I think the Seahawks too. I mean, their their style, you know. The old adage, styles make fights. They could probably beat anybody in the NFC in one game except for the Falcons. I just don't think they could beat that team with that offense. I, I can't. There's no way. Yeah, they, that's the one team that I will never say. Up. Yeah. Any other team, even Green Bay, in a, in a, you know, they gotta, it's got to be a low-scoring game. Minnesota we've seen. But, man, they are not beating that team. No. Hey, did, Joe, uh, Green Joe, Bay took them in week one, though. They did. But that was closer. You know, that was closer than it, than it probably should have been, a one-score game. But Yeah, right. speaking of games <laughs> that put the NFL back a couple generations, there's another one, another Seahawks game. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're in a lot of these. Uh, I, need your, I need your assessment really quick, though, of do you think the Browns are as awful as they've been 
in recent years. They lose to the Ravens by two touchdowns. Um, but I'll remember this game as a game that was closer than that, but Kaiser just kept throwing picks. Is this just to make you feel better? No, no. Well, My... with me straight. Come on. I'm, I'm, I got the Indians right now. I'm fine. Like, what? <laughs> Bubble with me. I think the Browns are a lot better than people give them credit for. I'd agree with that. Like, Hugh, Hugh Jackson is putting a band of misfits together out there every week. <laughs> and they're, really slowly they becoming, they're slowly becoming more familiar with each other, but they're still misfits. And once they start actually getting drafting players, like they got Kaiser this year, then they'll start to form. The team will start to form. But what's hard is they are not winning at all. They were, I mean, they were close to being the Steelers in week one, and Kaiser was looking decent before he went down in the second game, and Hogan came in and turned, and Hogan was like, hey, play me instead. But, I mean, yeah. they're going to they're gonna win some games, I think, honestly. They're definitely not going to win, but they're not going to lose more games than the Jets, so you have that to look forward I, to, I guess. Yeah, it, and part of me in the back of my mind just wants Sam Darnold or Josh Rosen or one of those quarterbacks. But, I know I see what you're saying. Defensively, I, I actually like Williams and you know the head of Bounty Gate coming in and making the team tougher. But the Ravens are just another one of those teams built like the, the Chiefs almost in a sense, not personnel-wise, but how they're going to play you. They're just going to play you with rugged defense. They're not going to be flashy. The Browns had their chances, just couldn't get it done. But, yeah, I'm more optimistic. I know one of your favorite quotes ever was when uh, Hugh Jackson said after uh, you know they, they won their one game last year that hopefully this is the start of something. <laughs> You know, one in sixteen now, or one in what is he? One in seventeen now as a head coach. So with the Browns, so he's not record. he's not entirely entirely to blame for that. No, he's that not. one in seventeen. He the personnel he's been given since he was there. That's like maybe like a five year turnaround <laughs> if if everything goes right and nothing goes wrong. I agree with that. I do. Um, and the last game I want to talk about on Sunday, Joker Sly and the Money Mitch Effect. The Patriots, they get their first win of the season emphatically with a big win over the Saints at 36-20 game. And, Joe, it was um, nice to see if you're you know, a New England fan, I should say. They were able to bounce back on offense, but I keep going to how bad the Saints looked on defense. Everybody thought they could be better on defense with the running backs they have. Maybe it's a different team, but it's the same old Saints. They just get thrown over the top, and they're you know down 20 points in the first quarter. I don't know what it's going to take for them to fix that because I feel like for the last however many years Sean Payton has been there, they have always been a joke of a defense. You know, They just don't have it on defense. They, it doesn't matter who they draft, who they put there. They're not going to play well. They're, it's just a bad system. And their offense needs to put up 4,000 points a game if they want to win, and they have Drew Brees. Now, when I was watching the first game when they played the Vikings, you were kind of thinking, like, what the hell are they doing? Why did they get Adrian Peterson? They don't need Adrian Peterson at all. They're, they're, they're not a smash-mouth team. They're, Drew Brees drops back and throws it 60 times a game, and, and you hope that he throws for five touchdowns, and then you win. But they're just not, they're just not built to win. I mean, no. you, you, can't just have, you can't just have Drew Brees. Like, the Patriots have Tom Brady. Great. The greatest quarterback of all time. They have Tom Brady. But he has pieces around and him they still that run the ball. are good players. Like, if you're the if you're the the Saints and you're like, all right, our best offensive player right now is Jimmy Graham, let's trade him away. That doesn't make any sense. And you get a center, sure, you get a guy who's decent blocking, but that doesn't sure up your offensive line. You give away a player 
that's your best offensive weapon. And then they did it again this year. They gave the Patriots their best offensive weapon for a draft pick. Like, <laughs> you, it doesn't make any sense why they would do that. And you're giving him to the best team in the league that just won the Super Bowl. So it doesn't make – I just don't understand their front office's thinking on, no. all right, how many no. years was that? Out of the last two out of the last three years, they decided to trade away their best offensive player for nothing in return. Yeah. So, yeah, you can just have them. Or you at least – yeah, build up that defense that's still awful. And, and I'm glad you brought up the Patriots. Brady is great, all-time great, still playing at a high level. But they still run the ball. They're still committed to having a balanced attack. Gillisley carried for 18, to, 18 carries. I just I, I think there's no balance there. And part of it is how bad that defense is. I mean, you can't really run the ball that much when you're down by that many points. You just start throwing it away. So, um, yeah, because you're down, you're down seven zero before you even take your first snap. <laughs> so where do you go from there? You and know? you probably think you're about to be down fourteen nothing if you don't score on this drive. So yeah, it's a, it's a lot of pressure. Since, and since they drafted Cooks, they've been taking defensive players in the first round every time, but they're just not good. No. Like they just have bad scouting. You know, it seems like it. Well, the Patriots though seem like it's back to business as usual. How good they are offensively, but I want to see. How they do against a more complete team. You know, I know there's plenty of time, and it's Tom Brady and, New England, and Bill Belichick and New England Patriots, but the Saints weren't exactly the uh, the hardest game they could have after a loss. Mm-hmm. We'll see. Well, the Monday night game as we record this is Giants and Lions and another offense that just looks awful. The Giants. <laughs> the New York Giants. <laughs> but, hey, they could maybe pull this one out and – and salvage uh, any thoughts of uh, hope that I had for them this season. Well, Joe, before I let you go, this is what we're doing this year on the NFL uh, shows weekly. We're we're acknowledging where we went wrong. So instead of you know things you've learned, I want to hear from the horse's mouth. Where were you wrong? Whether it's going into this week or going into the season, what what were you wrong on? What thought did you have that hasn't panned out? I know you're a big preseason predictions guy. So where have you erred? You think well, so far? I put too much thought. I guess my biggest thing. My biggest thing is I put too much thought into the Chiefs trading to get a quarterback in the first round, so I thought that they were kind of on the downslide. So I thought that they were not going to be as good of a team as they are, and then they come out and they just demolish the Patriots mm-hmm. in Foxborough. So I guess that's my where I went wrong, is I thought the Chiefs were going to be not good, and that was totally wrong so far. So <laughs> I was wrong on the Broncos, and... I, thought, I didn't think they'd be this good. I thought they'd be well. They could still actually be third in the division, which is crazy. Um, but and the Saints, I thought would be good, and they're not. Not good, decent, and they're not even decent. So you know, I missed. They're that. not even half decent. They're not even half decent. Well, Joe, this is fun. And lastly, you know, you talked about games that set back football. Why don't I read off a few games that are going to be played in week three? This might go down as the worst week of the season. We have Ravens, Jaguars, Dolphins, Jets, Rams, Niners. Browns Colts <laughs> week three baby oh, get, get, used get your popcorn ready baby Browns are road favorites I don't know if this has happened since I've been legally an adult over the Colts <laughs> that the Brown, yeah, the, yeah but they're favorites on a road game I mean Jesus that's like the that's like the, the Eclipse like I, that's pretty much the like only the hope the Colts have the only hope the Colts have at winning that game is that Brissett has some leftover Patriots residue on him because it's like a winning residue, you know? So that's all, that's the only thing that could make them win. I just wanna, if he plays, like, out of his mind. This is going to full-on determine whether or not I uh, embrace the draft pick or not. If they lose this game, I'm going to be full draft pick mode. So just warning everybody I, out there. I think, the that, 
All right, so pick it straight up. You think the Browns are going to beat the Colts? I do think the Browns are going to beat the Colts, and I'm not saying that as a homer. I think the Colts are terrible. I think they're the worst team in the league, and I think the Browns are going to win. An ugly, awful game that unless you're a Browns or Colts fan or a family member of the players, do not watch. Oh, Marshall? All right, so remember how earlier in the show I had told you that Brandon Marshall caught a pass? Yeah, I do remember He was that. streaking down the sideline just now, wide open. If, for you viewers, if you want to tune in, Fourth quarter, thirteen fifty-four. If you want to, if you want to look back on it. He's streaking down the sideline. Ball hits him right in the hand. Drops it. Uh, you had to be loving that. Oh, <laughs> fantasy baby. Uh, okay. Well, I think that's a good place to stop for now. Well, Joe Cristali, thanks for coming on the show. And maybe <laughs> Marshall with the drop. <laughs> Marshall with the drop. Yeah, it's uh, it's fitting. And maybe I'll see you in the uh, MLB playoffs. I don't know. Might have to re- party like it's two thousand seven. Same time, same place, same Indians. results. Maybe, man. Indians, the Windians. Yeah. Well, I still get, can't believe they lost. I know. It's got It's bound to happen. But 22 straight wins, you know, has to happen. And getting that top spot over the Astros, if we can maintain that. And, uh, you know, Yankees in the wild card, Yankees twins to play the Indians. I could do I don't it. know. Look look for the look for the Yanks to, to make a push here at the end to try and push the Red Sox you out. You guys have been, like, between eight. three and five games back for the past, like, two months, it seems like. Yeah, just have to get a good stretch of games where the Red Sox lose a couple. Cause yeah. What's been happening is the, the Yanks will win a couple and the Red Sox will win a couple, and then they're just winning and losing at the same time. Oh, my God. <laughs> Surest bet in sports right now. Sure, hey, I need to ask you this, though. Is, this, is the surest bet in sports right now an Indians regular season win or an Aaron Judge multi-strikeout game? Indians for sure, because Aaron Judge is just going to drop bombs, like I said. No, he will, but he'll go one for four, two, two to three strikeouts, home run. You know, that's how he is. But All right, Joe Krasai, talk to you later. Thanks for joining the Money Mitch Effect. Fun yeah, thanks time. for having me. Anytime. And that's it for today's show. Thanks again to Ryan Schultz. Joe Crisali for coming on. Thanks to Brian Nelson for the logo. Tim Adams for supplying the beats. Thanks to everybody out there for listening, especially that rant at the beginning of the show. I just had to get that off my chest. But if you like the Money Mitch Effect, you can listen and subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. You can even leave a review there if you would like. That's a, uh, that's a favorite of me. You know, you're doing a favorite of me. But thanks again. We'll have uh, hopefully another episode this week. If not, we'll see you next week. I am Mitch Michaels. This will be Money Mitch Effect. You can follow me on Twitter, MoneyMitchM21. But until next time, this was the Money Mitch Effect. Keep enjoying. Keep loving. Keep yearning for those sports. I'll see you next time.